Hi everyone, just a note before we start. This episode includes discussion around some sensitive material and topics such as physical and mental abuse and sexual assault. At that point, I asked the, the, the kiosk owner, I said, what's, going, what's that? He said, oh, that's just my family. They live below my store. And as I began to pay, there, was some in the, there were slats in the floorboards that you kind of see through. And I looked down again and, and looked with better eyes this time. And I saw hundreds of sets of eyes down there. And it appeared to be little girls. I mean, I was, believe me, it was through slats. So it was hard to tell. But what it, what it did for me is I knew something was wrong. I knew that that wasn't right to have all those, those little sets of eyes looking up. Welcome back to Floodlight, a podcast from us here at the Anti-Slavery Collective. We look to raise awareness of modern slavery by sharing stories and speaking to interesting people that are looking to combat it in their own way. I'm Jules. And I'm Eugenie. And for the last nine years, we have been passionate about fighting against slavery in all its forms, wherever it is found throughout the world. Slavery is still very much a modern problem. There are currently more than 40 million people in slavery across the world today. That's more than any other time in human history. And those most likely to be affected by it are women and children. This week, we caught up with the powerhouse herself, Cindy McCain. Cindy is a businesswoman, a philanthropist, humanitarian and now a UN ambassador, and on top of all of this, an incredible advocate for fighting human trafficking. Cindy is the former chair of the Board of Trustees at the McCain Institute. The charity is a world leader in fighting against human trafficking and modern slavery, and Cindy's been at the very heart of it from the beginning. We sat down with her to talk about how a trip to India revealed the shocking extent of modern slavery and how committed she's been to fighting this cause ever since. She's also given us loads of really, really useful advice and the Institute was one of the earliest and most significant supporters of the Anti-Slavery Collective. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. My pleasure. We just wanted you to tell everyone, our listeners, sort of what you do and how we met and, and just a bit about Cindy McCain. Well, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast today. Um, it's always... I find it always uplifting to be able to talk to others about not only the work that I do, but the work going on around the world. And so I'm, I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful that all of you are working on such a delicate issue that is so vitally important to our world. Um, for me, as Cindy McCain, um, I started out as a human, just a humanitarian. I ran a mobile medical unit, actually, that did worldwide medicine. And we would respond to war zones or to, to disasters, those kinds of things. And it kind of developed from there, you know, you know, humanitarian activism and being a humanitarian is very personal. So I was not, I was just like everyone else that goes into this arena, something affected me. It made me want to get more involved and made me want to, to try to make a change in some way in the world. But human trafficking, the reason I'm in human trafficking now is because uh, I actually saw it and I didn't know what I was seeing at the time. I was happened to be in India, I was in Calcutta, and I had been visiting the grave of Mother Teresa. I had known her in early years and I hadn't been able to, to visit her where she was. And so I was there visiting and paying my respects. So uh, I was in shopping. I was stopping through a kiosk to be able to buy my youngest daughter who's from Bangladesh some sari material so that she might use it if she wanted to to graduate in or something. And so 
while I was shopping, it was in this tiny little kiosk in this tiny little store in Calcutta. And, you know, Calcutta has this wild on the streets. So everything is busy, bustling. You know, people are both sick and dying and running in scooters and everything's occurring all at once. And so all this hustle and bustle is going on outside where I'm standing. And I looked down, I began to pay and I'm hearing all this movement from below. That's not very good. I'm banging on my desk here, but this kind of flustered movement from below the floorboards. And I, at that point, I, I asked the, this, the kiosk owner, I said, what's going, what's that? He said, oh, that's just my family. They live below my store. Very plausible. Something I, you know, that I, that was something I would not disbelief. And as I began to pay, there was some in the, there were slats in the floorboards that you kind of see through a little bit. And I looked down again and, and looked with better eyes this time. And I saw hundreds of sets of eyes down there. And it appeared to be little girls. I mean, I was believing it was through slats. So it was hard to tell. But what it, what it did for me is I knew something was wrong. I knew that that wasn't right to have all those, those little sets of eyes looking up and and I didn't know what that was. I went home, you know, flew home in my, in my nice airplane to my nice house, to my wonderful family, uh, only to figure out after doing research and talking to people what that was. And it was trafficked children. And so that's really where the quest began uh, for me. And it became something that I knew I had to not only I had to be a part of and do something about, but something that I believed the world need to participate in. And at that point, no one was into it. No one was talking about it. And Cindy, what was what was the feeling you had when you first witnessed or, or saw what you saw and you realized what it actually was? Confusion. Confusion and misunderstanding and trying to think, well, it could a could man have 19 wives? Possibly. You know, I mean, it, 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 you know, all those things when you step outside our own country could very well be possible. But this just didn't look right and it didn't sound right. And it was, to me, they were, it was almost like they were trying to send me a message through the floorboards. And so I went home, like I said, and it began what now is a lifelong quest to be able to, to not only stop human trafficking, but make sure it doesn't occur at all. Um, so that, that's really where we're at with it. And of course, we founded the McCain Institute and our human trafficking portion of the Institute is very large now. And it's a major part of what we stand for and what we do at the Institute, among other things. Can you tell us a bit, or can you tell all of us about the other things that the McCain Institute do? Well, we we work on issues that were important to my husband, aside from my human trafficking element. He was very involved in that, too. But but he, you know, uh, next generation leaders, mentoring young people that are mid-career into a life of service uh, is one of them. Of course, human rights. We deal with human rights issue every day and our human rights element to the Institute is quite large. Um, obviously national security, uh, foreign policy, everything that, that actually constitutes world issues and world, obviously it includes the United States, but wor- world issues together and apart. And uh, we've grown a great deal. I'm very happy to say that we're well-respected now. I'm very, it's been for me, you know, having with my husband gone now has been a, a challenge for me to make sure that I not only kept it alive, but that we flourished. And we're indeed doing that. And I'm very happy about it, really. I and mean, it's, it's a great tribute to his legacy. Oh, that's so lovely. I wish we'd met him because we love you. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
you would have liked it. He would like you. So, <laughs> and when did you set it up together? Um, we started setting it up. It was we're ten years now, so about 2011. Yeah, 2011. I had to ask. Sorry. <laughs> See what we're doing here. Uh, about 2011, and um, it was small in the beginning. And now, of course, it's grown quite large, and we're getting to getting ready to put a permanent presence in an Arizona State University building, museum. You know all the all the things that we can work out of. And what what projects do you have coming up um, in the human trafficking arm? What are your kind of main focuses? I remember last time we spoke, you telling us about some amazing technology advancements that you were doing. Um, I'm curious to hear where, where you've got to. One of our bigger ones right now is um, uh, is deals with online issues. And it's, it's you know, our children are so often caught up in uh, on the internet, we all are, but but they're the most vulnerable. And these predators that roam the internet looking for young kids, girls, and boys uh, can it can be very dangerous. And we work with Thorn, as you know, they're the they're the real research gurus and all of this to figure out. And then we reap the benefits because we either get the tools or the actual devices and things that we can install in police cars, etc. So uh, it's it's very exciting. It's a it's a large area of that we that is not completely unattended to but largely unattended unattended to it's exciting to see all the involvement people are beginning to take in it they're 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 buying into it and I'm thrilled with that well I remember we've spoken a lot about how you started working in this field so long ago and this topic wasn't something that people were talking about so that must have been a big challenge for you back then but what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when building the McCain Institute and various things that you've come across. And being a trailblazer too, you really were one of the first. We were one of the first, yeah. I'm, I'm proud to say that we really were. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge has been uh, in the early years when I started talking about this, and I would go around to the various service clubs, you know, Rotary, Lions Club, all that kind of stuff. And of course, I could clear a room faster than anybody by just saying, I'm here to talk about human trafficking. And people would leave out the windows, you know. And so <laughs> so it's it's been, the challenge has been actually having people listen to us. That is not the issue now because people are well engaged with it in all the, the areas that we sports and, you know, uh, large events, tourism, you know, everything that combines into what could be a human trafficking setting. Uh, people are listening now and they're acting on it. I'm happy to say. So that's been very exciting for me. Um, I think also just just making sure that we continue to be the trailblazer in this issue. Uh, we need to think outside the box. We need to think in different ways and, and figure out ways that we can better protect our communities and especially our children uh, from this from this predatory behavior. And more importantly, from the people that are actually perpetrating it. I mean, there's, there's now apps you can put on your phone that points out, you know, not just people in the community, but troublesome areas. You know, maybe there's a sporting event or maybe there's a, uh, you know, and it's not all sports, but there's a concert or something where these things could happen. And so uh, we, we as an institute and we as a community of human trafficking specialists are looking at all this with different eyes. We really are. And Cindy, what has been your proudest moment to date as part of the McCain Institute? I think people recognizing the fact that the Institute really means what we're doing. And we really, there's a lot of, a lot of well-meaning people that come through this, but that doesn't, they don't last. 
And so I think that we're here to stay and that we mean business and that you can come to us for either aid or you can come to us and say, I disagree, let's work on this differently and we will listen to you. We will work with anybody on this issue. It doesn't matter who it is, we will work with anybody. You were so pivotal for Eugenie and I in founding the Anti-Slavery Collective and and the the McCain Institute really took the Anti-Slavery Collective under their wing. And I honestly don't think we would be the organisation we are today without your kind of mentorship. Um, and then you and I, as we were preparing for today, we were remembering our trip to Jaipur. Jaipur, yeah. In India. Um, and how incredible it is that not only are you running an organisation and doing all of these things, but you still take time out of your schedule to go all the way to India and spend time at the grassroots levels. Um, what are some of the other um, trips and adventures that you've had along the way that have really resonated? So many of them. Oh, my gosh. I've had so many opportunities to... To me, it's... Let me back up a second. To me, it's very important that I'm, I and the people that I work with are on the ground and understand the issue thoroughly because you can't you can't armchair this. It's not something you can sit in your in your office and say, well, this is what we need to do. You really need to see it because it's different in every community. On Wednesday, I'm going to Texas, but I'm going to the other side of the border to, to go into the camps that are actually formed and that are functioning on the other side of the border to find out. And I've been wanting to do this since COVID started. So uh, I'm glad I finally have the opportunity to go. On this, because that is very important. I mean, we talk about those that come across our borders, but we seem to be forgetting that there is a huge amount of people stashed on the borders right now. So I think, I think just getting on the ground. I mean, Thailand was a big one. I had never been through the communities that are basically trafficking communities, and I walked through with the police to see it firsthand in in a small town in Thailand. Um, just things like that. I mean, obviously, I I came to London to talk to your leadership on this issue to gain some more insight about the more of the international syndicates. And that's very important to me. So I, I try to make sure that, that I talk to everybody and that we witness it, we see it, we feel it, we know, you know, as best we can. Jules and I have been talking a bit about how much you've mentored us and given us advice and the McCain Institute has been so integral to us. What advice would you give people listening today about um, maybe oh. the start of their career or setting up something or how to be as impactful and successful as, as the McCain Institute and you have been? Like, what would you wish someone had told you mm -hmm. at a young age that you could tell? Mm -hmm. What I tell people when they do come to me and they say, I want to get involved, how can I get involved? What can I do? And, I, and what I tell them is, you know, have you had an experience something that moved your heart to a degree that you know you have to do something. Um, I tell people also that don't do this because you think it's the cool thing to do or you think oh, it'll look good on a resume. Um, not saying we don't need people, but it, that's not the right reason. These issues are tough. And it doesn't matter about trafficking, it could be any issue. But pick an area that you know moves you and that you feel strongly about and that you know that through your 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 angst that you worry about these issues that you can make a difference first. I just tell people that first. And then of course, align yourself with people that are really, really important to you and that will work with you on these issues. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because so many people, we have so many great people around the world, as you know, that work on these really hard issues and stay in the fields with them. 
you know, the Syrian refugee camps I'll go back to, and, the, and now our Afghan refugees that are coming across. Um, these are all uh, areas that need, you know, need help, along with other things locally. Um, I always suggest to people also, you might want to start local in your local communities because they need it. Our, most of our local communities need help. And so it, it, that's an easy way because you, not everyone can hop on an airplane and head to India or head to Syria or head to, you know, head to London or anything else. So I always suggest they start local and, and, you know, and you'll find your way in it because you, yes, yeah, the two of you know, it was an experience that you all had that, that brought you to this. I also think, interesting, Jules and I have always said, surround yourself with people that validate what you believe in. And we met you and we connected on that. Mm -hmm. Jules and I set up something because we believe in it together and it's our passion. Mm -hmm. And I think young people nowadays starting out in jobs or careers or wanting to do something to change the world, you know, similar to what you just said, like surround yourselves with people who are going to... Yeah, share that vision. Well, the two of you are so great, though, because for this reason, both young. I mean, they see me coming and they see grandma hitting the road. (laughs) (laughs) Are we still young? I love that. But they see the two of you. And that's a a voice that we really need, especially on this issue, on slavery. We really need younger people's voices in this. And so I'm thrilled when I see people like you involved and and really working this issue. And so I'm grateful to to all of you for this. It's very important, the work you do, very important. Cindy, who have been some of the mentors in your life that have helped shape your career or your um, Mm -hmm. setting up of the McCain Institute, et cetera? I'm sure you've had some incredible people that have impacted your life. My parents, number one, my parents came up the hard way. You know, they both of them barely had a high school education. World War II came along, which really sparked their interest in, you know, in so many things. And I think my, my parents always gave me the mindset that I could do anything, not just my parents, but also my husband was very impactful to me. I met him after he was a POW and I watched him develop into this incredible diplomat and an incredible human being when he had every right to be born angry, you know, because of what he'd been through and he wasn't. And that really gave me uh, when my days would get dark some days, you know, you think, oh, I can't do this. I, you know, we lost another one or whatever it may be. And, and then I would think of him and having been tortured for five years and coming out with the kind of mindset that I want to make a difference. I want to be a part of this process that, that can, can really make a difference. And so I think between my parents and my husband, I think would be the two that I would say. That's amazing. I love that he was that support, the person that you looked at when, you were having a down moment. He was the... Well, he never said no. He never said, no, you shouldn't do that. No, you can't do that. He was always, yeah, you can do that. So he was always very helpful to me and very insightful and would let me rant when things went bad. So <laughs> so he was a good one. Do you know what? Jules and I always say that with each other. It's like when one of us is having a bit of a down day, the other one's feeling a bit more positive and it goes in we waves. We pick each other up yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. And I'm surrounded also by great leaders. I mean, people that have served in different administrations and people that are still, especially on the national security and human rights issues, that, <clears throat> that are really important to the issue because their voices are strong. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed and, I'm, I am, and I am inspired every day by people that I've surrounded myself with. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, I think you've shared a lot of hopeful moments, but mm-hmm. do you have a story of hope from your work in trafficking that 
our listeners can can hear a bit about? Well, I think um, you know there's many people, and this one is is a, it began as a nice story, and then it tells a tale of what human trafficking really is. But there was a woman that we met here in Arizona that had been trafficked, and she had had a hard life. I mean, she had been she'd been drugs, she'd been um, you know, everything had occurred to her. She trafficked, you know, all those things, a terrible life anyway. So we found her and she had somehow gotten herself out of the whole human trafficking element and came, came with us on our, our council, the council on, for human trafficking to the governor's council here in, in Arizona. And she was bright and she had, she brought such a different, uh, thought to it. And she was, you know, her, her eyes, we were witnessing and hearing what it was really like on the streets. And she was so brave. And then all of a sudden, one day we lost her. We couldn't find her. She'd been to Washington with us. She'd been to, you know, she'd spoken at, at various uh, events and things. And so we really thought she was on her way and we lost her one day and we've not been able to find her. And what that tells me is that, that this is just because you find someone that's out, you still have to make sure that they're well, they're well cared for. This is a long-term trauma-based care element. And I miss her and I haven't seen her in a while now. I wish I could say something that's more uplifting, but that tells you the delicate balance that these people are facing. And Cindy, when are we going to go on our next field trip and where? Because we've all been sitting behind laptops on Zoom for far too long. We need to get out there again. I know. I know. It's time to get out there. Well, I, uh, I would love to. And I, you know, there's so many areas and regions that I would really, really like to, to see more of. I mean, I'm very worried about Northern Africa. I'm very worried about of course, our Middle Eastern countries that are that are having various issues now. Human human trafficking is a is a terrible problem in all of that area, and I think we need to be concerned about what's going on in in Russia and in some of the other city states and cities that were affiliated at one point but aren't now. But trafficking is a huge element, and for one, I'll, I'll mention is Montenegro, and there are just no young women there. They've all been trafficked out, and so it just. Uh, it's something, it's time for all of us to get back to work at that point. We're right behind you. Maybe we'll come to Arizona first to say hi. Please, so I'd love you to come and speak at the Institute for us. We're going to go live next year. So we were, as you know, virtual this year, uh, but I'd like to go live next year. Okay, well, fingers crossed we'll be there. I hope so. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Floodlight and a very big thank you to Cindy for joining us. Next week, we will sit down with Nick Dale from West Midlands Police. He led Operation Fort, which Caroline Hockey spoke to us about in episode one, and was responsible for bringing down the UK's largest ever modern slavery network. You can also be an activist and join us in the fight against modern slavery by visiting our website, theantislaverycollective.org. And if you want to learn more about what we've discussed on today's episode, head to the show notes and follow the links. Our mission is to raise awareness about modern slavery, so please help us by sharing and posting about the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe to Floodlight and please also take the time to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you about the show, your own activism and who you want us to speak to in the future. See you next week. Floodlight is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.